Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Hogan. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And, and you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, Presidential Podcast. The PA Light Podcast, the Pampers Podcast, the Pronger Cast, the Canoeble Cast, the Briere Cast, the Hexel Cast, the Pooling Cast, the Prop Cast, the Bobby Clark Cast, the Ron Hexel Cast, the only Flyers Podcast. I am a man who has ridden the coattails of my co-host for the past three years, Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad, joined by the man whose coattails supported me this whole time, Anthony Sanfilippo. He's available on Twitter and Instagram, at Ant Sanfilly, and of course our show is available on Twitter and Instagram at Snow the Goalie, as well as Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Anthony, greetings. How you doing, Russ? I'm doing great. It's a it's a fantastic mid-June evening as we go to record this podcast. And I lit a small section of Flyers Twitter on fire which I think is going to give us a, a pretty interesting topic for tonight, which is where to go as well as maybe delusion because delusion was a topic that we had a week ago. We got a lot of feedback. I think we should address that off the top. Do you want to address any of that? Yeah, go ahead. So last week we, um, we actually picked up a three-star review, which yeah, hasn't saw happened that. in a long time. I saw that, um, which I'm not going to dignify with a, uh, a reading. Oh, no. I will just we got, we got to acknowledge it because there's a reason. I, well, I'm acknowledging it. The person was upset because we didn't talk about hockey as much as we talked about a place to get hockey news. So we we did our episode last week. It went off the rails really quickly with Anthony uh, ranting about Flyers Nitty Gritty. And I would like to report that Jamie Baskow, who we said is a nice guy, good heart, reached out to us via DM to effectively apologize on behalf of Yarev Wolak. I did not hear from Yarov, but it really wasn't me who he was discrediting. Did you hear from him, Anthony? I did not hear from Yarov. Okay, so we heard from Jamie. I heard from multiple people who either have written for or continue to write for Flyers Nitty Gritty. As did but, I. But the person who questioned your sourcing on stuff has not apologized, which doesn't have to. But man, it's a shame that he's got somebody else, you know, doing it for him. You know, maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe someday uh, that led you a three star review because we talked about where to get your news and how to discern, you know, good reporting from not. And, and I and I'm OK with that. I mean, if the person is just checking out the podcast for, you know, and, and says, man, why are you why are you doing that? Why are you talking about what other people think about, you know, your reporting? It's not necessarily the, the reason we brought it up was not just because they were trying to discredit me. Um that, that I think that was just kind of the tipping point. Um, it, it was more. It was more so to say, hey, you know. And I we offered, if you recall, we offered to kind of take them under our wing and and, and you know, uh, show them the right way to do things so that they can actually report news the right way. But it was more so for the fans, like to make sure that fans are getting correct information, that fans are getting good information, and not getting not getting stuff that is either taken from someone else or is, you know, completely made up or 
you know, is, is complete clickbait, right? I mean, that, so that's all we were trying to do with that. Um, and hopefully it turns out to be that, you know, we did a service. Yeah, I mean, it turns out that there are a few people who didn't know about their site and DM'd or reached out on Facebook and said, I've never checked out the site before. I'm going to look into it and then got some some feedback, positive and negative. And so, okay, you know, look, like I said, you advertise for them and there we are. So let's get into this week's show. Um, Anthony and I got into a Twitter beef today um, because for those who uh, have been following along at home, Anthony, the noted Bill Zito hater, uh, came on this show a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, really tried to uh, undercut the fantastic accomplishments that Bill Zito has had and obviously would have translated perfectly here to the Philadelphia Flyers, would have led the Flyers to the promised land. And instead, uh, that did not happen. Bill Zito, though, is up for executive of the year. I poked fun at Anthony, who then just, just went blitzkrieg bop on me. And let me, let me just explain something to you, Russ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quick little mapping of why you're just as ridiculous as anyone else who picked Bill mm-hmm. Zito as a potential candidate for executive of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not to say that he's done a bad job. I don't want to go into this as a long thing. No, it's not going to no, be a long this, thing. Okay. Okay. It's not to say that he's done a bad job in Florida, but to sit there and, and praise him like he was like the second coming of this great general managing mind. And oh my God, why didn't we go this route? Instead, we went Chuck Fletcher. Mm-hmm. I offer you this. So first of all, keep in mind, Florida had a lot of talent that the Flyers didn't have to begin with. Guys like Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau uh, and Aaron Ekblad. I mean, they got, they had some real top-end talent to begin with, okay? Pretty solid goalie. Yeah. Um, so, And then they, of course, had Joel Quenville, three-time Stanley Cup winning coach, behind the bench. So there Not was the there- Flyers coach. Well, no, but the point is, is that that Chuck Fletcher had to bring in a coach, mm-hmm. okay? Which which Bill Zito did not have to do, okay? So the, these things were in place, okay? So just as a comparative, all right? And it's kind of hard to compare the seasons because 1920, the Flyers played what was it, 69 games, and 2021, the Panthers only played 56. So there's automatically we can't look at you know, counting stats because it's not fair. Okay. Sure. But let's look at it this way. You know about point shares, right? Which is kind of like hockey's version of war. Okay. Um, Which is a widely accepted um, measuring stick in baseball uh, and hockey's it, they have them based on offensive point shares, defensive point shares. And then you basically just add the two together and get your total point share, which is akin to akin to war. Okay. It's total points that, that your offensive production and defensive production provided for your team. Okay. So if we look at Chuck Fletcher's first year and Bill Zito's first year and look at the five players, five biggest names that they brought in, um, obviously there were some smaller level players beyond these five on both ends that I just didn't even bother counting just because it's, they're, they're kind of inconsequential, but looking at the top five. So for Fletcher, you have Kevin Hayes, Matt Niskanen, Tyler Pitlick, uh, Justin Braun and Brian Elliott, even though he was here prior to that, he was re-signed by Chuck. And uh, for Bill Zito, you have Carter Verhage, Patrick Hornquist, Anthony Duclair, Alexander Wenberg, and Radko Gudis. They're five and five, okay? Mm-hmm. Total point shares, 
okay, for Fletcher's guys, when you add them up, Hayes 4.1, Niskanen 6.4, Pitlick 1.9, Baron 2.9, Elliott 3.6, equals 18.9. The Flyers went from being a non-playoff team to a playoff team who, Fugazi or not, were the number one seed in the playoffs, okay? Um, and we're trending in that general direction when the, when the uh, pandemic hit. So it's, it's, you, you know, Fugazi? did you really say that? Anyway, what, what, what else would you call it? I mean, it's kind of fraudulent, right? I mean, whatever. No, it's the right? pronunciation. It's never, okay. it's never your usage of words. It's just okay. your pronunciation of words. So eight. So those five guys, 18.9 point shares mm-hmm. for Verhage, Hornquist, Duclair, or so Verhage's 5.2, Hornquist 3.3, Duclair 4.2, Wenberg 3.2, Gudis 2.4, 18.3 and Florida finished in second place in their division and was knocked out in the first round. The flyers in, in uh, Fletcher's first year made it to the second round. So by comparison, they're pretty even, like, I'm not going to sit there and say, I mean, you could say 18.9 to 18.3. Ha ha. Um, Chuck Fletcher wins by 0.6. Um, and yes, his team went one round further. So therefore he wins. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say to you is, is that, their first seasons were very comparable with their franchises. Now, we know that Chuck didn't have as good a second year. Let's see what Bill Zito does going into the second year. But by comparison, if, if what Bill Zito did this year was akin to what Chuck Fletcher did last year, was Chuck Fletcher the executive of the year in the NHL last year? Was he even considered one of the top three? No. But now Bill Zito is, and all of a sudden we're going to sit there and say, oh, man, that's the guy we should have had. Why? It's, he had the same, very similar offseason that Chuck Fletcher had in his first year here. Why is, why is what Zito did so much more impressive than what Fletcher did? And the well, do we answer, go off of, do we go the off answer of to it, expectation? The answer to it is, here's a guy, Chuck Fletcher, everyone knows who Chuck Fletcher is. So Chuck Fletcher does Chuck Fletcher things. Mm-hmm. Bill Zito was an agent. All of a sudden he comes in and, oh, he has a little bit of success. Well, that must be really impressive. See what I'm saying? It's, and it's the mindset of the people who vote for it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why. Okay? That's the difference. So therefore, to me, it's like I, I think that they're, they're very comparable first seasons together. Not to say, like I said, I didn't say that Zito had a bad year. But I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and, and say, oh, my God, what a great mastermind of talent evaluation this guy is. How did we miss this boat? I, I can't right, go, go hold on really quick. Go side by side with me really quick. And by the way, if you're here for a Flyers talk, we're going to get there in a second. Go side by side with me really quick. Yeah, uh, who was who the top win share for each uh, each team? Uh, Niskanen for the Flyers, which was 6.4. Mm-hmm. And Carter Verhage for Florida, which is 5.2. All right, go down. Next one. Uh, the next one was Kevin Hayes for the Flyers, 4.1. Mm-hmm. Anthony Duclair for Florida, 4.2. Basically mm-hmm. the same. Uh, so the that, ne- that one I could. Okay, keep going. Next one down, Brian Elliott for the Flyers, 3.6. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Hornquist, 3.3. Okay. Again, pretty, pretty similar. Then the next one down would be Justin Braun, 2.9. Alexander Wenberg, 3.2. Again, very close. And then the bottom one is Pitlick, 1.9. Gudis, 2.4. Slight edge to Gudis there. So I guess the thing that I would point out is especially if you like focus in on the number two guy, 
I mean, we could we could actually go macro here for a second and just say that like what Matt Niskanen was and what he was expected to be is in line with like what his win share would be. Is that fair? The thing that pops off the page is the Kevin Hayes and Anthony Duclair side by side because Kevin Hayes, you traded to acquire his rights. It was a massive contract. He was ostensibly one of the better centers available versus Anthony Duclair, who was picked up as a scrap heap signing for one year, 1.7 million. So I, I think maybe the way that some people are looking at this is it's not necessarily just the fact that like, yes, if you go side by side and you say like the wind shares are at least, you know, somewhat comparable, it might just be that like, you got a guy who either had a lot to prove or a guy who just, you know, ended up being a solid fit for your team. But like that kind of, of a, a disparity in terms of like term and AAV. And then you stack those up side by side. Like maybe you say that, like maybe this Zito is really good at kind of playing money ball. I don't know. It's a, it's a good frugal signing. It was a good holdout. We talked about why Anthony Duclair wasn't signed uh, by a number of other teams and the fact that he was still on the board and he could have provided scoring. And, you know, there was a little bit of inconsistency in his play, but it was a smart signing. So maybe that's what it is. Like maybe for voters that had something to do with it, that you're getting real maximum, you know, maximum value out of a, you know, relatively minimum contract. That could be it. I don't know. Could be. Okay. So let's get to Flyers talk. So I threw out this idea because we, we saw a number of reports come out. Uh, three players names were bantered about around the Flyers, two defensemen, and then of course one forward. Uh, things got really heated earlier this week uh, when it was uh, reported that the Flyers were not targeting Dougie Hamilton as a potential top target uh, this offseason. Instead, it was reported that perhaps Seth Jones would be a guy that the Flyers would be more interested in. This, of course, lit hockey Twitter ablaze because hockey Twitter exists in two spheres, one where analytics uh, are the be all end all and another where the eye test wins out. There is a very small area uh, of Flyers Twitter where it's a gray area that likes to take a look at both sides. I think that you and I both fall somewhere in that middle. But Seth Jones was a really polarizing name to pop up. Um, there were some really fancy graphics that made it look like Seth Jones is the Antichrist, a terrible defenseman, and one who should be avoided at all costs. Dougie Hamilton, for the eye test people, was a, a little bit riskier, maybe not as defensively sound, and you, there's a worry that you bring him in to try to play that top defenseman role on this team, and perhaps it doesn't pan out the way that you would want it to. There have also been questions about could Dougie Hamilton stand up to the spotlight in Philadelphia? Let's start there. Um, if you're the Flyers, if you're going into this offseason, if you're Chuck Fletcher, do you hold Seth Jones and Dougie Hamilton to be in the same echelon? Or is one guy drastically ahead of the other? So I think that the thing that's lost in all this, Russ, is that the report um, uh, that that came out didn't say that the Flyers weren't interested in Dougie Hamilton. It just said that he wasn't their primary target. And I think that the reasoning for that is if you trade for Dougie Hamilton, well, trade for his rights and then sign him, um, the money that he's going to make may be prohibitive 
if in fact you want to do multiple things to improve your roster. Whereas Seth Jones, you might be able to get on a slightly more affordable deal. They're both going to cost you money, but Jones is probably more cost conscious. Um, that again, that doesn't mean the flyers aren't, aren't talking to, you know, aren't talking to Hamilton's agent to try and get the, you know, get, get a sense of what he wants to get a sense of, uh, if it would fit, if it would make sense. Um, and I think that, you know, flyers, Twitter goes ape shit because that, you know, they don't, they don't want to take multiple things into consideration. They, they want to just sit there and say, we want the best shiniest toys and if we can't get them, then our guy stinks. That's in charge. That's just um, part of being spoiled for years when Ed Snyder was the owner. Yeah. And there was no salary cap. And so you you were used to that. It's hard to take away something that you got so used to over time. Right. So and you also look at Philadelphia as the top four sports market in the country. And you say there is no reason, especially with Comcast as the you know owner of the team you would think that it stands to reason this team should be involved in big money signings or big money acquisitions every offseason. Pittsburgh somehow does it, despite almost going bankrupt twice in their franchise's history. So why can't the Flyers get involved? Uh, by the way, it was an Elliot Friedman report in his 31 Thoughts column. We want to cite our sources. Continue. <laughs> See, that was good. Well, so the point is, is that if you're going to do something else or multiple something else's, Seth Jones probably makes more sense. If all the Flyers needed was a top pair defenseman and nothing really else other than maybe some, you know, depth signings, then maybe Dougie Hamilton would have been, would be the better choice. But I think Chuck looks at it and says, I need to bring in five or six players this offseason Dougie Hamilton doesn't allow me to do that. I think that's, I think it's as simple as that. So you think that this isn't as much of an asset heading out because we're going to get to that in a second. It's not an asset departure that you're worried about. It's more about the, the financial capital. It's about the, the cap hit more than anything else. Yeah. You got to make it work. And sure. And, um, look, if, if Dougie Hamilton's not going to resign with Carolina, and they're going to trade his rights. That's going to cost you, in all honesty, going to probably cost you less than it would be to trade for Seth Jones with one year left on his contract, and then you're going to renegotiate it. Like, you know, Columbus knows that if they trade Seth Jones, that Seth Jones is going to play for at least a full year with his new team. So there's value there. What yep. Carolina doesn't know is if they trade Dougie Hamilton, if he signs before free agency. Right. So there's usually usually deals like that come with, you know, contingencies and draft picks. Like if he mm -hmm. signs, then the second round pick we're giving you becomes a one or something like that. Sure. So I, I honestly think asset wise, a trade for Seth Jones probably costs you more than trading for the rights of Dougie Hamilton. It's what happens beyond that, that that I think is where Chuck's reluctance might be because he's just not able to get the pl other players that he would, he won't be able to get the other players that he needs <clears throat> to make the flyers a, a better team. Cause I'm not sure Dougie Hamilton alone suddenly turns 
the dreck that we had on the ice last season into a Stanley Cup contender overnight. I don't think that I don't think that's enough. I think that there needs to be more. And if you need more, then you need to look in another direction first. And have maybe maybe Dougie Hamilton's in the mix as one of your like plan B, plan C kind of things. Let's see if we can make this work and try this and blah 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 blah. But I don't think that the 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 main objective of the offseason is to get him and nothing else because I think that's what you really are kind of looking at if you're going to trade for his rights and then sign him to a long-term deal. And it's tricky, right? Because I don't think enough people realize that Seth Jones is younger than Dougie Hamilton. I don't know if it's because Dougie goes by Dougie and not Doug or Douglas, but it seems like a lot of people are of the thought that like Dougie Hamilton's 25, he's 28, Seth Jones is 26. Um, They both had similar contracts in terms of AAV, 5.4, for Seth Jones, 5.75 for Dougie Hamilton. Um, I guess the question comes down to which player is going to cost you less and and what it seems like the initial rumors are um, are that Dougie Hamilton is going to look for a contract in the AAV range of 9 to $10 million per year. Right. Seth Jones would be probably in the eight ish million range, seven, maybe and half, seven. Seven, and half, seven and a half to eight is what I was thinking. Yeah. So then the question now let's remove ourselves for a second, remove the, the cap implications for the flyers for a second. If you're just going by on ice talent, Dougie Hamilton and Seth Jones, both right-hand shots, both a significant upgrade on the top pair to go next to Ivan Provorov could very likely solidify that top pair. We've talked about the cascading effect that can have on the remaining four defensemen on the team. If you had your druthers, if you said that for the next season to four seasons, it'll obviously their contracts go longer, but for the next one to four seasons, you could have Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton. Which guy do you think right now would make the flyers a better team? Seth Jones. And and it's to me, it's more about, you know what? It's nice that you have a top paired defenseman, that can put points up, but at the same time, I'd much rather have a guy who plays defense. And that's, I think Seth Jones is a better defensive defenseman and he can still put up points than Dougie Hamilton, who to me is more of a, you know, he's a power play specialist. He's an offensive guy, you know, yeah, he's got some size and whatever, and he's not bad defensively, but I would take Seth Jones. And it's, by the way, it's not like Seth Jones sucks. Four seasons ago, he had 57 points, right. 16 goals, 41 assists. I mean, it's dropped every year, 57 to 46 to 30, but you also have to keep in mind that the, the games themselves also dropped, right? So right. 75 games, uh, sorry, 78 games, 57 points, 75 games, 46 points. And then the past two seasons, 56 games, each 30 points and 28 points. It's not as if he's garbage. So like, maybe we have to kind of dispel that notion as well. Get what you're saying. I guess the question that people are going to have is in an ever-changing landscape of what hockey is, is it better to go with that defensive defenseman if he's going to cost you 8 million versus a guy who has upside? I mean, this might not be to the extreme of like the Gosses bear and uh, I don't know, pick somebody else, Robert Haig kind of argument. I mean, this, these players are in a totally different echelon, but like if the idea is that the, the AAV is going to be at least close enough, is that a worthwhile salary to pay? I mean, I guess the thought is if you're hoping to unlock something in Ivan Provorov, 
having a defensive defenseman next to him, or at least somebody who Provorov doesn't have to cover for consistently is probably a, a good way to get a better return on your investment in Provorov as well. And solidifies a top pair in front of your young netminder who could certainly use a better, stronger, more solid and consistent defensive core in front of him. So either way, you would think that this team would be a whole hell of a lot better with either one of these guys in the lineup. I guess the question becomes, if you were to go out and get Seth Jones, um, what are you okay with parting with? And I bring this up because I put out on Twitter the idea of if the Flyers were able to clear salary cap space, and by the way, they're, the, the reports are coming out as you would expect that Seattle is uh, going to look to take the lowest um, cap into the upcoming season as possible. They don't want to get tied down with term and, and, and dollars, which is just a negotiating tactic. It's going to try to get more out of teams that are going to be participating in side deals. Um, that said, I, I put out, if the Flyers were to walk away this offseason with Seth Jones and Jack Eichel, how would you feel? And I said, I gave four options, elated, positive, neutral, and negative. And as of just after nine o'clock on Thursday night, 51.5% of the respondents said elated, 34% said positive, nine and a half percent said neutral, 5.1% said negative. Now, we can dissect the Jack Eichel part of this, and we'll get to that after this defensive, uh, this defenseman conversation. But when you think of like what you would part with, let's say you're right that Dougie Hamilton will cost you less because his contract's up. There's no term beyond this year. Players who have at least one year under contract are more valuable than those who don't. If Seth Jones is going to theoretically cost you more because he's under contract next year for 5.4 million with one year remaining, what are you okay with parting with? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it really depends. I mean, depends on what it's going to cost, what, you know, Columbus really wants. Um, you're probably going to have to give up. You're going to probably have to give them a defenseman to replace Jones. So Columbus probably asks for Sanheim. You probably counter with Phil Myers. Is how I think, that, okay. you know, I, I think that that's probably where that fits or where that falls mm -hmm. with that part of the conversation. They're probably going to want a forward. And this is where it gets, this is where it gets tricky because this is where the Eichel conversation really comes into play. Now I know Eichel's a center. Um, but Nolan Patrick won't, won't get you this deal for Seth Jones. <clears throat> There's just not enough there for Columbus. But Travis Konechny might pique their interest. And if you're able to work out a deal with Buffalo for Eichel that doesn't include Konechny, then maybe Konechny to Columbus gets you Seth Jones. So maybe Konechny, Myers, and a draft pick gets you Seth Jones. And But you're going to have to give up something else to get Jack Geichel. And it's probably going to be your first round draft pick plus a couple prospects, maybe an NHL caliber player. Um, so it's it, it, this is where Chuck's going to have to get creative. He's going well, to have and, to and juggle the assets in the right, just the right way to, to get both players. 
So I bring this up because one of the people who responded to the tweet, who I believe has been a longtime listener of the show, Brandon LaFort, over on Twitter said would be the dumbest thing to get either of them. It would at minimum cost one of Frost or Farabee, Myers, Ghost, first rounders, probably two of them, Igor Zamula and Scott Lawton. And he says that these are names that he doesn't want to lose. This then spawned a uh, massive back and forth. I don't know if it. I don't know if it costs you all that. Again, I think Seth Jones to get to get Seth Jones and Jack Eichel. No, I, I understand, but I, I I don't think you need to give up as much as a lot of people think you need to give up for Seth Jones. If Seth Jones basically has told Columbus, "I'm not coming back," and I'm going to go test free agency if you don't trade me now, his value to Columbus is not as strong as it would have been had Columbus just started working deals quietly, right? That only so, matters, though, if he goes public with that intent, though, oh, right? Oh, but it's, like, been, it's kind of out there, right? I mean, yeah, It's maybe, kind of out there, but I'm saying if he if he definitively publicly declares it, that no, but absolutely I'll tell you, craters it, the value for Columbus, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you this. The, the GMs know, right? Like sure. The GMs know from talking to the agent. They know. If the agent's telling them, yeah, we're, we're, we're out, like we're leaving there, you know. Uh, but if the agent sitting there says – we're definitely out of Columbus after next season, no matter what, but we don't necessarily want to sign a new deal. We still want to test free agency that changes his value too, right? Then Columbus doesn't get nearly as much in return. Uh, and, and you hope, I mean, some, maybe some team will gamble and still make that deal thinking, okay, well, we'll take them for the year. And we believe that we can convince them over the course of the year to sign here. Yeah. Um, that this is where he wants to be. Um, you know, he's there, the word has come out that you know he he likes Dallas. Obviously, he grew up in Dallas. That's where his dad played basketball with the Mavericks. Um, so there's a real connection there. He likes Colorado. Uh, he wants to go there. Who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't want to play on that team, right? Um, so the, you, you just know, say F it. Do you just say F it, Anthony? <laughs> We're not going to think about it next year. If you haven't yeah. seen that clip yet, you need to go uh, go find that clip on Twitter. Yeah, that was that was a question of Nate McKinnon, right? Yeah, Adrian Dater asked yeah. Nathan McQu- Nathan McKinnon a question, and I feel bad for Adrian because it was just kind Do of you? like a a little bit because I think that you know you know we've been in those smaller scrums with players where you can you could say shit like that right and not really have to worry about what are you cursing this week Look at being you. out there. I'm doing it for you, Russell, because you know Why? you're now you're no longer a teacher. That's so. true. So you're allowed to say these things now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I feel bad. Like, I I will be honest. I don't know if I feel bad for Adrian Dater because he kind of uh, faced multiple uh, accusations of being a scumbag uh, about sending harassing messages to female hockey fans. Well, that that was a whole different that was a whole different thing. Yeah, I mean, but (laughs) lashing out at at a fellow uh, hockey writer. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that this is uh, necessarily like the best dude in the whole wide world. So I I'm not I don't feel bad. The thing that like that you're talking about and like, I guess to to pull back the curtain a little bit for people, you know, when when you think of the media scrum, what you see on TV, which is always selective, right? Sometimes there are eight questions, nine questions asked of a player and you see maybe two on TV. Sometimes NBC Sports Philadelphia does a good job of editing them. Sometimes they let an F-bomb through. Uh you don't get to see all the questions. But the thing is that like when you talk to a guy off to the side, whether that's before the scrum or after the scrum or somebody who's not even involved in the scrum, like not one of the guys that's been requested by the reporters, you you tend to, if you've built up rapport with that player, 
you can let your language slip a bit because there's an understanding between you and the player. Like, for example, players that have been on our show before, we are more likely to go up to and having established, you know, some kind of a legitimacy and a, and a uh, you know, a quasi relationship between us and the player. We will sometimes have fun with a player. We will sometimes drop profanity in a question, but you don't do that on camera. It is a stupid thing to do. Right. And the thing that like, I think took the dater thing to like a whole other level is you're cognizant of the fact that like, for the most part, especially in the playoffs, those press conferences are being played in their entirety and you're on zoom. And so it's not as if you're off to the side. I get that you might be upset that you can't talk to the player directly right after the game in the locker room. That was a stupid thing to do. I don't feel bad for him. Yeah. It's all right. All right. So back to hockey. He's, he still has a job. <laughs> so, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think it's going to really come down to, and look, just because um, it was reported that the Flyers are a team that Pierre Lebrun could see going after Jack Jack Eichel mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Mm-hmm. Now Pierre doesn't put stuff out that's wildly speculative, mm-hmm. but at the same time he's not putting out in this instance not saying with one hundred percent certainty that the Flyers are in depth conversations with the Buffalo Sabres on a potential trade for Jack Eichel. It's kind of more along the lines of he probably knows that they kicked the tires initially. He probably knows that there might be some interest there if if they can make it work. And so he lists them as one of six teams that he could see Eichel going to. Usually the 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 reason those kinds of stories come out is you have a national reporter who's been in touch with eight an agent or some you know team executives and they give you a little breadcrumb mm-hmm. but not a lot and so therefore you then you know start putting you know adding numbers together and say okay well this is who makes sense and then you put that story out there and say yeah I can see this happening I can see this happening and it's so, and it's somewhat informed but it's also somewhat speculative so where do the flyers fit into that into that mold. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity and I, I really wanted to this week, but you know, I got to admit, I was pretty swamped with some other stuff and uh-huh. not putting the podcast first. Sad. <laughs> I did not, Sad. did not reach out to Chuck this week. Um, Why don't you text him right now? Why don't you email him right now? Find out what are you doing? You want his number? I'll get, I'll send it over to you. No, you can do it. He doesn't like me. I compared him to Brian Colangelo. He doesn't like me. Um, I do want to point out really quickly because like when, when the, the concept of Jack Eichel comes out, like we, we cannot have that conversation without also having the one about Seth Jones versus Dougie Hamilton in part due to the fact that like Eichel's got two things going on. I think probably everybody who's listening to the show knows what's going on, but for those who are not apprised of, of what's going on with him, he wanted to have a surgery on his neck that the Sabres claim has never been um, executed on a player in the NHL. It's a specific kind of surgery that no professional hockey player in the NHL has ever undergone to repair a herniated disc in his neck. 
So there's obviously risk reward here. Jack Eichel wanted the surgery. Maybe it was just because he wanted to be done and have a good reason to get away from the Sabres. Maybe he thought it was genuinely the best way to recover, um, you know, physically. You can't blame somebody for wanting to, you know, take control of their life and take control of their health. And if you've gone and met with multiple specialists and they've determined that this is your best course of action, you have the right as a human being to say, that's what I want to have done. The team denied it. Jack Eichel's on the hook now for the next uh, four seasons at $10 million per season. No, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Five seasons, $10 million per season. This season is the last one where he doesn't have a no movement clause. That'll kick in in 2022-23 and runs all the way through 2025-26. Now, the Flyers themselves have a number of players and have had a number of players who have no movement clauses or something similar. They just might want to, you know, pull one out of the upstairs at a pizza shop and jettison him to the moon. But like, other than that, they have, you know, an issue potentially if they bring this guy in and if he can't play or if he becomes disgruntled and then you can't necessarily just send him wherever you want willy nilly. That is a risk. That's $10 million a year on top of whatever you might end up getting if you were to acquire a Seth Jones or a Dougie Hamilton. So they kind of go, they, they go hand in hand. I don't see a scenario in which they pursue Jack Eichel and don't go after a top pair defenseman. Do you? Well, no, the top pair defenseman is still number one priority. No matter how you slice it. I mean, that's the number one priority. Getting Jack Eichel would be a huge bonus. Sure. And something that you probably were not expecting this offseason. Right? I mean, yes, yep. they wanted to get another scorer, but you're not thinking of going out and getting, you know, one of the top 10 players in the NHL on your team in a trade, right? I mean, that certainly was not... Say that again. Top how many? Top 10. So the interesting thing, right? Again, this is where people who watch the game or who just look at the numbers of the game get really upset. There are a number of people who believe that Jack Eichel is a good stats, bad team player, and that that's the only reason that he compiles stats. That two seasons ago when he put up 82 points in 77 games, that was just by virtue of them being a bad team. That when he put up 78 points in the COVID shortened season in 1920, that again, it was just an issue or a matter of somebody's got to score the points. Buffalo sucks. He's the most talented player. He should score points. And then the season was obviously truncated by injury. Yeah, but here's here's the difference between the NHL and the NBA. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that that's a very fair assessment for an NBA player on a bad team because there's a lot of points to be scored and somebody's got to score them. Yeah. You don't have to score in the NHL. Like there's no like, Oh, well, you know, he's going to get his that that's, that doesn't exist in the NHL. So to me, if you're putting up an 82 point season and 78 point season, like Jack Eichel has, that's talent, right? I don't care how bad the team is around you. As a matter of fact, if you're putting up those numbers on a bad team, that tells me that you're an even better player. Like I, because I, it's I, easy to hone in. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to stack coverage against and to send out the top pair, yeah, the top defensive a, pair against, against you one every man, time. Against one man. Yeah. I mean, that's why you look at, when you look at, you know, you look at Edmonton and you have McDavid and Dreisaitl and they're putting mm-hmm. up ridiculous points together. I mean, they're, they're immensely talented players. They're playing on the same line and every team's throwing their best defenseman at them and they're still scoring those points. So, sure. I mean, you know, and, and how good is Edmonton, really? I mean, they, they you know, <laughs> they lost in the first round again this year. Um, Stephen A. Smith. Do you see that yeah. video a week yeah. or so ago? That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, 
so like, I mean, so, so if Jack Eichel, who hasn't really had much talent around him, has been able to put up those kind of numbers by himself, that should tell you that the talent is there. I, I don't care what anybody says about being a pl- good player on a bad team. You put, you put a good player who's on a bad team on a good team and watch that player flourish. So then when we talk about like with Seth Jones, you said that the knowledge that he doesn't want to re-sign potentially could in some way, shape or form crater his value at least a bit. If you are um, engaging with Buffalo in a contract negotiation and a trade negotiation, and you're looking at $10 million per year, and you have the knowledge that Eichel wants to get the surgery, one, you don't know how long he's going to be out for. It's entirely possible that he misses a large chunk of the upcoming season, correct? I mean, you wouldn't think that coming back off neck surgery, you're not going to rush him, especially if he's your big off-season acquisition. So you have to make that decision if you're a team. Am I okay with this guy missing half the season or potentially the entire season as he rehabs? That's a hard sell, especially for a team that underachieved like the Flyers did this past season. $10 million in dead cap space is bad. Now, sure, you could make the case that Kevin Hayes on his own made up what 75% of that and didn't really show up much this season, but that's fine. Uh, when you think about potential guys that get shipped off or are potentially left exposed and, and maybe are set off in side deals with Seattle during the expansion draft, you think of James Dernream's like $7 million. You think of Jake Voracek's $8 million plus. Is it really a bad investment for your team? And I guess this is the thing that you throw out to people. Is it really a bad investment if you know that Eichel isn't going to play the upcoming season, but you then have him for five more years and you know that his upside is exponentially higher than that of one of your other big money guys that you're hoping to clear out at some point this offseason via trade? I don't know. You, you kind of have to do the calculus on it. Um, maybe, maybe you look at this and you say, you know, if he somehow isn't included in the deal, maybe you then say this is going to be the last season that we're going to really take a look at Morgan Frost. You know, if Eichel's out for the year, you're pretty much penciling in Morgan Frost as your three C and you say like, let's see what we have here. And like, maybe we parlay him into being, you know, something of value going forward in the future. No, I, I think in, I think, in, a, in a trade, I think if you're getting both, uh, if you're getting both Jones and Eichel, Morgan Frost is part of a deal somewhere. I, I don't see how you keep them. I just don't. Honestly, is it, like, I, I know that this is the other thing that comes back to, like, the, the initial Twitter exchange. Frost and Farabee are still paired together in, in the minds of a lot of fans. And I can't wrap my head around why. Like, Frost conceptually is, a, is an excellent player, is a guy who, like, we would have loved to have seen be given an opportunity this past season, and he got injured, and he was out for the year, and that was it. But, like, at some point, do you question if this is a distressed asset? Like, do you stick with Morgan Frost? Do you turn down potential deals for a top pair defenseman or for a potential number one center on this team? Do you turn those deals down on what the upside of Morgan Frost might be? Or do you sell him off while he still has value? Like if he, if he gets hurt again, because he's now has a propensity for getting hurt. Like if, if he misses the season, or he misses a large chunk of the upcoming season. Like, do you then regret not making a move? No, if you, if you can get Jack Eichel, you trade Morgan Frost. There's very, there's no, there's not, I don't a pro- disagree with you. There's not a prospect in this organization that you don't trade for Jack Eichel. I'm serious when I say that. Yeah. But if Buffalo wants Cam York, go ahead. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the other th- thing too, is a lot of people like being upset about the idea of like having to part with Cam York. 
he could turn out to be a good player. He probably projects to be a second-ish, maybe like a second pair well, defenseman. We don't, we don't know what he's going to be. I I think that they that's where they, people that's where people in the know tend to kind of peg him right now. Is he he maybe develops into a second pair? Maybe he ends up being a first pair defenseman. I don't know, but like it's not it's not like he's a guaranteed stone cold lead pipe lock. There's there's no prospect that is. Yeah, Buffalo wants Forster. See you later. So I'm saying, like, I mean, like, I, I, I don't, Buffalo I don't. Buffalo wants Zade Wisdom. See ya. Pound sand. No, no, I mean, it. we need wisdom I, in the organization. No, but it depends. Again, you're not, give, it. you're not giving up all of these prospects. I'm not saying that. Yeah, sure. But I mean, if you, if there's one or two that Buffalo wants to get Jack Eichel, I'm not, I'm not second. I'm not sitting there going, oh man, should we give up two prospects? No, you give up two prospects to get Jack Eichel. That's it's not, a, it's not even, I don't even think twice about it. I might, I might hem and haul to Buffalo just to make them think, oh man, do we really want, but on the inside, I'm doing cartwheels because it's like, I'm going to get a, a star player like Jack Eichel. And all I have to do is give up two prospects plus an, you know, an NHL caliber defenseman and an NHL caliber. So let's say Eichel, you got to give up Gostas Bear. Um, see, I don't think Lawton's part of this. I really don't. I really don't. But like, you know, like a like a like a Gostas Bear and a um, Gostas Bear, Patrick Frost, and uh, Zamula and maybe like another draft pick. Like, yes, I'm doing it. I don't care. Like I'm giving up two top prospects, two NHL players and a draft pick. And I'm getting one of the best players in the game. I'm in. It's always funny to me. Like, and, and this by the way, is like a thing that you're seeing right now is like Sixers Twitter is burning itself down. The, the long held concept of like, these guys suck. And I want them off the team, but at the same time, I want to parlay them for an excellent player. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, the big thing coming out of Sixers game five was Tobias Harris sucks because he, he's not a max player. And then people saying, well, he's not great, but man, it's going to be great to deal him for Dame Lillard or Ben Simmons can't shoot. It's going to be great to send him to Portland for Dame for like a top 10 player in the league. No, you can't do that. You can't just say, take this flaming bag of, dog shit that we left on your doorstep and then say give us your your uh wedding band like it doesn't work like that did you just say so shit? huh i don't know <laughs> who who said that <laughs> not a teacher anymore um so i guess like the the thing that i guess i struggle with here is i think that people just tend to overvalue prospects and if you're hanging on to the hope that like igor zamula is going to end up being a top pair defenseman. Like, I think you're a long way away. If you're holding on to the idea that like Cam York could be something like you're still a pretty long way away. Is it possible that they look to put Cam York on this team? Like they give him a camp invite and they try to have him on the, the roster when camp breaks next year. Sure. But I think it's as a third pair defenseman or maybe as your seven, I don't think it's going to be as one of your top four. So you kind of have to do the calculus on this one and say Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton, somebody is going to make a much bigger impact on your team than what one of those guys might do down the line. Like at some point you do have to come back to this thing that you and I've talked about a million times, which is like, if you're looking at your aging core and you think that you still have one or two productive years out of Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek and James Van Riemsdyk, depending on who you have and who you don't, 
if you know that there's a limited window for those guys and you're not maximizing it, you're doing organizational malpractice. It doesn't make sense. You can't continue to not support those guys while still paying those guys mega, mega bucks. You have to make some win now moves. And like sitting back and trying to build and build and build for the last few years, you've also seen that there's been bad misevaluations by this organization. Like the thought that Travis Sanheim or that Phil Myers were going to develop into potential top pair defensemen has not yet yielded fruit. And so I guess here's the, here's a question that I'd have for you. If we were saying at the start that like a Seth Jones deal could cost you, you know, they might want to ask for Travis Sanheim to send Phil Myers. Okay. Phil Myers is gone. Jack Eichel pops up and now they want Travis Sanheim. Could you theoretically go into a season where you've traded away your number two pairing from a season ago to solidify that top pair and then know that you're, you're going to have to make some kind of acquisition. Like you, you can't possibly go into a season having like Igor Zamula and or Cam York as your second pair. No, the answer right? to that, but the answer to that is yes. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even think about it. Like that you could trade both. Yes. Yeah. If, if Buffalo says, yeah, the, the linchpin is we want Sanheim. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like I, who, I'm not even certain that there's, I don't think that there's a player on this roster that I would go, uh, I don't know if I'm going to move that player for Jack Eichel. I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't think that there's a player on the Jack Eichel is a transcendent talent. Obviously when he's healthy, right? I mean, it, you know, I, you know, this neck, I understand the neck injury can be a cause for concern. And if it is, if the flyers are, are really concerned about the neck injury, then right. Then you don't, then you don't go all in to trade for him. And that's, and I think that that's a fair thing, but let's do the Patrick line. Hold on. Let's do the Patrick line. thing from a season ago. Let's say in theory, you're approached by Buffalo and they say that in order for you to get Jack Eichel, you've got to trade Ivan Provorov. Yeah. Now Ivan Provorov makes just under 7 million, 6.75 million. I don't have gonna to, have to send it. something else. Russ, to salary I, don't to, I don't have to think about it, Russ. It's done. Yes, I do it. Yes. Jack Eichel is a top 10 player. When healthy is a top 10 player in the NHL. Yes. So Ivan Provorov is gone. I would, I would do it. I would find a, another solution. I mean, you're going to have to get another defenseman somewhere. You're going to have to sign another defenseman in free agency or trade for another defenseman somewhere. And you're going to have to do that. Maybe if that's the case, maybe you hold on to one or two of your guys. Maybe then you have, you keep Sandheim, right? Yeah. Maybe then Sandheim stays. So now you got Jones and Sandheim. And maybe, you know, Sandheim's maybe not a number, a top pair defenseman, but maybe you can live with that in a way that, you know, we remember when we had Chris Tarion on and he said, I was more of a, I was more of a 2.5 defenseman. And I ended up mm -hmm. playing, becoming a two because I played with Desjardins. Maybe Sandheim's a 2.5 and ends up being a two playing with Seth Jones. Right. Who knows? It feels um, like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, though, doesn't it? Because you're oh, you're sending out your best organizational defensemen at, in order to acquire a center who could be transcendent for you, who really, you know, could be a next level guy for you, and really already, does move. We've already talked about. Like, we've already talked about Provorov, though, right? I mean, yeah, that maybe he's not what we all thought he was. Not to say well, that when he's bad. when Bundy was on the show, he said that Ivan Provorov is not a number one defenseman in this league. Yeah, he said he's more of a two. Which is fine. Maybe a 1B, but definitely not a standout number one. Yeah. So, so to me, there's not a play. Again, there's not a player on this team that I wouldn't trade for Jack Eichel. Carter Hart. Go ahead. Go ahead. Wow. Yes. Wow. Go ahead. 
content aggregators get no, yourselves but I'm ready serious. like anthony not- sanfilippo says trade carter hart and ivan provorov for jack eichel no i, I look to, forward to seeing some together. very upset people on twitter try to discredit you once again not together i wouldn't trade them together but if if one of them was the key piece to a trade that got you eichel i would do it wow i'll be honest i didn't see that coming well i mean what are you going to do how do you how do you turn that down how do you really turn that down? Well, you need to have if, – if you were to make that kind of move, you do have to have a deal contingent with another team to get a top defenseman. You can't create a hole there yeah, yeah. and go into oh, and oh, go into next – yeah. 100%. You, but, like, that, that, that move has to happen in conjunction with the Eichel trade. You can't make the Eichel trade and then hope after the fact that you can make another deal. That would be suicidal from an organizational standpoint. Okay, that's interesting. I enjoyed this. I like this little thought exercise that we did. This is good. Um, I do want to point out that like in this back and forth, which people kept very civil, by the way, for the most part, they, they tended to keep the comments civil um, about the theoretical of getting Eichel and Jones. Um, is there another player right now that has been rumored to be available that you think makes more sense for the Flyers than one of the three aforementioned names? Uh, as, as far as defensemen, as far as anyone, I, I still think that Ryan Ellis is in play. Okay, with Nashville, I think that that's a real possibility because it's got term. It's not. It's already established. It's not contingent on a player agreeing to you know sign long term here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that even though Nashville made the playoffs and had a decent first round series against Carolina that they do realize that they, they need to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's a, that's a deal that can still happen. I, I don't want to leave that one under the radar because everybody's talking about um, Hamilton and Jones. I mean, one of the interesting things that was part of uh, the 31 thoughts was the report was from Elliot, Seth Jones or another defenseman. Well, who's another defenseman? Seriously, who's the who's the other defenseman that you could conceivably be talking about in a trade that could be a top pair guy? Well, the one the mean, one that we the one that we talked about in season, right? During the yeah, before the trade deadline, as right. the you know as the sky was falling and they did nothing to address it. Yeah, right. that also makes sense. So um, so, to, but, so that so you want another name that that could. That could fit there. I think that that's certainly one, and probably one that Chuck's had lengthy conversations with the Predators about, and and has a real sense for what it'll take to get him. And I think that the debate that he's going to probably have with himself and with his staff is the package we would put together for Seth Jones, assuming he's willing to sign here, versus the package we would have to put together for Ryan Ellis, and which one serves us better for the next five years. Yeah. That's, that's what they have to decide. And I think that that, so if you wanted me to rank them as to where the flyers are looking, I think Jones is one Ellis is two. Hamilton might be three. Let me throw another name out in terms of a forward on a team that we've already mentioned. There were rumors about Vancouver looking to potentially trade the ninth overall pick for Sam Reinhardt. If you're the flyers and you ultimately decide that, the Jack Eichel sweepstakes isn't for you. 
do you consider parting with number 13 if that's of interest or 13 and a prospect to Buffalo to get Sam Reinhardt? No, I don't go that far. I think that that's too much for Reinhardt. I mean, he's a good player. I would I would move a prospect for him, uh, maybe a prospect and a later pick, second, third round. But I'm not moving 13 overall for Reinhardt. That doesn't move the needle for me. Why? Okay, why? Because he's not. He's not. If you're gonna, like what? Do, I guess my question is like, what? What is the real value of number thirteen? In this draft, it's a deep draft. It's a deep draft, and and you're you're gonna get a talented player at thirteen. Who's how far away? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's hockey. It's always hockey, right? I mean, you're always that far away. Does Sam Reinhardt help you next season? Yeah, but is it enough? See what I'm saying? Like. Does Sam Reinhardt? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but this does this Sam Reinhardt make you does Sam Reinhart make you a Stanley Cup contender versus Jack Eichel? Let's say, for example, a- enough enough to say that we're going to give up on a top tier talent that could be a long time help to this organization starting three years from now. I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't know if you're if you're Chuck Fletcher. Do you at some point care about? the potential job security that you'd have if you acquire a player who could help, hold on, that could help solidify your team for the upcoming season or the upcoming two seasons, rather than having, you know, we say it's a deep draft, but you also I'm, have to make sure that you nail that evaluation. And the guy trading, can't be three years away. If you're trading the first round pick, you've got to get the best possible value for it. And I'm not certain that Sam Reinhardt is the best possible value for a first round pick. I'm He's just not. So I mean, if you would include number 13 in a Jack Eichel deal, how much does that change the overall value? No, I'm saying how much does that change the value of, of what else you're trading along with? It doesn't go ahead. It doesn't move the needle much. No, no, no. I'm saying on, on the side of like approaching Buffalo, the difference between the package that you, you outlined before versus including the 13th overall pick for Eichel. What pieces are you pulling back? Like what, what goes with 13 that makes sense? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. Again, really, it doesn't matter. You're getting the, the kind of player that you're getting. I, 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 don't, I don't think too much about it there. I really don't. If Buffalo wants that pick, they can have that pick. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't... outed I don't... Anthony Sanfilippo as nothing more than a glorified Jack Eichel fanboy. No, it's not with it. With an I. It's not it. I mean, you could... No, I, you're, you're, you're within... Listen, if he's healthy, it's great. Yeah. If he misses the upcoming season, is it worth waiting until next year to have the conversation with Buffalo and risk missing out on him? Um, if you know he's going to miss the next season, you're not making the trade for him. You can't do that. What if there are like three or four other teams that are all in your conference that, you, you know, you if you can't. don't, if you don't pull the trigger on the deal, I'm just saying, if you, if you pull the trigger on the deal and then you're you, going to ask, you are, and then you're you are ask- convinced that there are a number of other potentially contending teams and you're going to ask going this to fan base, this you're going to ask this fan base to wait another year and you don't know what his health is going to be after that no you can't you can't it's just that's too many too many variables to trade off good assets to just you know put him in a you know in a bubble for a year and then co- cross your fingers that when he comes back and he's the superstar he was after a year and a half, basically two years off because he didn't play very much this past season. You can't and see that therein lies the problem. 
I think that's that's where the issue of like being willing to sell the farm because you think he's a top 10 guy. It's still next surgery. Like we we don't everything, know. I mean, listen, everything you, you I'm the, saying is predicated on the fact that he, you know that he's going to be healthy. Or well, you feel you know he, or you feel I mean, it's it's neck surgery, though. And it's not like you're repairing an ACL. Like it, it, It's a herniated disc in his neck. Like and, and the thing of it is know. and the thing of it is, Russ, we don't know. And you even said it yourself. We don't know how much he's pushing this just to because he really wants it or if he's just you doing it to try and get the hell out of Buffalo. It's like we don't know. So if we don't know, then I would assume that the Flyers or anybody else that would trade for him would know. They would know how severe it is. They would know the game that, that he's playing and his agent are playing. San Filippo argues Jack, he, Jack Eichel is fabricating injury and desired surgery to get out of Buffalo. All right. I think that that's a, a pretty good spot to stop. I don't know if you really want to get into Rod Brindamore winning uh, the no, Jack Adams. But you know what I did want to bring up, and this has nothing to do with hockey. What's that? Sure. And I just think it's absolutely hysterical. And mm-hmm. for all those people who play fantasy hockey, this is a great thing, and you should yeah. do it. But this is one of the great fantasy sports punishments of all time. So there's this guy in Mississippi who lost his fantasy football league. Okay. And the punishment was that he had to spend 24 hours inside of a Waffle House. 24 hours. 24 hours. I couldn't leave. Walk in. The atrocities against mankind. And stay for 24 hours. But here's the deal. For each waffle that he eats, he could cut an hour off of the stay. Hmm. How do you like that? How big are the waffles? I've never been to a waffle They're pretty large. There's no um, way he's eating 24. How many could you house? Four, maybe. That's it. Well, These yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, so I could have four, and then I probably wouldn't be hungry again for four hours, five hours. And then I guess I could eat a couple more at that point. But, you know, in one sitting, I could probably do four. Yeah. And they're big. Yeah. But I love it. I, I think that that is one of the he's, – and he's live streaming it on Twitter, which everybody's – Everybody's oh, it's a, happening right now. Yeah, it's happening right now. Oh, drop that link. I want to. I want to see where this guy's at. <laughs> I'm going to. Do we know which it. Waffle House he's at? Do we know what state he's in? What Mississippi. Township? Brandon. Oh, that's Mississippi. right. Mississippi. Brandon. Mississippi. Brandon, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to send this to you right now. Like, I want. See, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to cut it short. Like, I'd want to chronicle what's happening. Is he allowed? Well, he's he's live streaming it, so he's allowed to be on his phone. Is he like forbidden from using a device? Does he just have to sit and people watch? Like. These are real questions. The, 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 well, here's a tweet he just put out at. So this was at 530. He said two down. That means two hours down. So 21 and a half hours left, roughly. Oh, my God. He's already just my, starting. Already my stomach is rumbling. Going to be a long one. The staff does not believe me that I'll be here that long. Little do they know. Oh, that's that's not good. That's he, not good. he even got Ian Rappaport to say, I'm pulling for you, Lee. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. So by the time people listen to this show, uh, he'll probably, I mean, if you're listening to this on your morning commute, you'll be what he'll have 10 hours left. Yeah. He'll be be about 12, 13 hours in at that point. Now it depends on how many more he eats overnight. This is, this is horrifying. I'm at, now I'm looking at the tweets. He said he has some books some magazines and some podcasts and two waffles to start. That's a lot. There's a chance this guy dies. Like there, there's a chance that some shenanigans happen. And uh, I've seen some videos of people getting down at, at, a, at Waffle House in many different ways. 
yeah. Okay. I don't know how to feel about this. Good luck to him. I, just, I don't think I, that's I, that I bad. Know, like punishment. I said, it had nothing to do with hockey. I just thought it was, I just thought it was worth, uh, worth mentioning. No, I like that. Uh, by the way, we had the three star review, which can burn. We are not going to read it. But the five star review that we got this past week was a Lee C five star. I don't know if you saw this or not, Ant, but a couple weeks ago, Lee C uh, left a four star review, which I'm guessing was on accident. But Lee C left a four star review, Lee. which is horrifying. But Lee C bounced back five star review for the Getting Down podcast. I applaud Ant and Russ on their discussion issues regarding the reporting of Flyers news. It was frank and truthful. As the team heads to the expansion draft, the entry draft, and free agency season, honest reporting about the team is necessary so the fans have an understanding of the direction the team is headed. I read most of the sites that Ann has mentioned. However, I rely on Ant and Russ for reliable information locally as I rely on reading Elliot Friedman, Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, and Pierre Lebrun for league-wide information. The curse of Ron Hextall continues. Continued great success with your podcast. Thank you, Lee C., and all of those five stars you provided. Hey, I got one other thing to throw at you. Yeah. I think that if Chuck Fletcher has the cojones to call Seattle's bluff and not work out a deal with them, that the Kraken will still take James Van Riemsdyk's contract anyway. I mean, he'd be stupid not to expose both Van Riemsdyk and Voracek. You know, he, well, he's going to. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you is, is that I don't think he needs to trade Seattle anything for them to take JVR. Oh, got it, got it, got it. You know what I'm saying? Like Seattle might sit there and say, well, you know, if you want to take JVR, then you're going to have to give us something. Um, I, I think Seattle wants to be decent right away. Well, because Vegas set an unrealistic expectation for what yeah. an expansion side would be. Yeah. And Seattle, listen, to, to their credit, Seattle is a really solid sports town. They're not going to want to sit. But I mean, they'll support a bad team. Like they supported some bad Supersonics teams, but like, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna go into this and be you know over the moon about a mediocre at best team to start. What How about the Mariners? <laughs> okay, they don't support the Mariners, but they do. <laughs> but they do support the Seahawks and the Seattle Sounders. So there's that. All right, they at least have a few other sports covered. Yeah, the Mariners suck. I like They've the Mariners sucked. logo though. Is it bad that I like the logo? No, it's 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 funny. There's a great. Um... There's a great thing on YouTube. I think it's called Baseball Bits. Mm -hmm. It's all about the history of the Mariners. It's phenomenal. When you think of the Mariners, who's the player that comes to mind? Ken Griffey. Ken Griffey Jr. First, automatically is the first name that comes to mind. Um, beyond that, I would say Ed, Edgar Martinez and Randy Johnson would probably be right behind. Uh-oh. Oh, there you go. Well, you muted yourself partway through there. I muted myself because I'm calling my son into the room, and I didn't want to put that on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. That was really nice. Of Thank you. You, you Thank know who? You. you know who pops to my mind? I who? think your son and I are gonna we're gonna agree. Felix Hernandez pops to mind. Who is the if if the when we're if someone says to you Seattle Mariners, what's the first name that comes to your mind? Ichiro. He said Ichiro. Mm. That's mm. a good one. He said Ichiro. Ichiro Etro or Griffey? Really? Yeah. Ask him pitcher. How about pitcher? Randy Johnson. He said Randy Johnson. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? What, what's the name of that uh, special on that's on YouTube about the Mariners? The history of the Seattle Mariners. But what's a <laughs> Oh, it's it's so it's John it's John Boy's. Okay. Yeah, oh, John Boy. Yeah, John Boy's really good. Oh, not John Boy. John oh. Boy's B O I S. 
Oh. Who's done stuff for, um, I think it's SB Nation. Okay. It's called The History of the Seattle Mariners. It's pretty freaking cool. And it's really well done. And I, I highly recommend it for anybody who's a sports, just a general sports fan. Because the story behind what happened, how, how they came to be is really awesome. And they had one stretch of good baseball in their entire history. And they've mm-hmm. sucked completely every other time in their history. And it's just, it's a sad, sad story, but it's a good one. Know the goalie come for the Flyers talk. Stay for the Seattle Mariners YouTube documentary recommendation. We talked baseball, football, basketball on this show. Up a soccer team, yeah. Brought up a soccer team, yeah. I mean everything but That's hockey. Pretty good. That was pretty. That was a pretty, uh, pretty good job by us. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Between a sports betting writer over there, Mr. San Filippo. You, you think now, this was crossing broadcast? And and now a uh, a sports betting editor. For XL yes. Media, what's up? What's yeah, up? How it that's do? Russ's big announcement this do. week. How it do? Yeah, you wanted Russell. me to announce it last week on the pod. I, I refuse. I know. I was trying to get it's you to say it. It's in my Twitter profile week. now, so now I feel I feel good about it. So now it's official. At some point, like I I did get a few people who DM'd me and said like, when are you gonna go scorched earth on what it's like to be a teacher? And I was like, ah oh, no no, can't do that. Not doing that. Yeah, I could certainly give some stories, but no scorched earth. Yeah. Keeping it respectful. It's you good know, for you. it's a good thing good for you. It's a good thing to do. But uh, that said, we'll have a ton of sports betting content going up on crossingbroad.com and some of the other XL media uh, affiliated sites. Of course, you've got ESNY. If you're in New York, we've got Bleacher Nation. And there's, of course, Saturdays Down South uh, and Mile High Sports, all affiliated with XL Media. So you can always go and check out things that they're writing about their respective teams. And Anthony happens to write betting previews that go on a number of those websites. So that's always a good feeling. You know, it's funny, but my name only shows up on one. Which one? Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's the only one that my, na- my name actually shows up on. Otherwise, the other ones are on Wankzilla. That's under Bob Wankel's name still. Yep. So I'm, so I'm ghost writing those. Bob is a good writer. Bob writes a lot of things. But if you just looked at like Bob's name popping up on the interwebs, you would swear that like Bob is injecting straight caffeine into his veins <laughs> and hasn't slept in the last like. Yeah. 24 months. Now, in fairness, he hasn't slept in probably 20 of those, but you know, it's not all just it's not all just big bet Bob. Yeah. It's all right. I don't mind. By the way, go listen to Crossed Up. Anthony and Bob decided to record an episode about the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know why, but they did. It was a good episode. I did enjoy it. Um, I really hope that you guys are gonna dive into what's his nuts, the pitcher um who went off about the the banning of substances on the ball. I forget the name of the picture. Bob put out the um, the video of the guy explaining it. Young dude, long hair. Are you talking about the guy that got hurt? Who complained yeah. about it? Tyler Glass yeah. now from Tampa? Yeah, him. Yep. Yeah. I thought his explanation, by the way, since we've like delved into baseball now for a second, like his explanation of the, the nonsensical nature of, of implementing a policy now and what that can do in terms of the way that you grip the ball and in, in terms of the way that you pitch to make that change midseason is is kind of crazy. I liked his explanation. And when you talk about profanity in a press conference, a player using profanity in a press conference is totally acceptable. A reporter doing it, probably not as much. And, and I'll tell you, as bad as much as we hate Gary Bettman as a commissioner in the NHL, he is a like a rock star legend in comparison to Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. That's how much of a disparity there is 
from Batman to 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 Manfred. Manfred is so far behind everybody else. Actually, I, I will say this. As much grief as Gary Bettman gets, and I'm not a huge Gary Bettman fan. He's not a fan of mine to, to, as well. <laughs> or he doesn't like he, you. At least he didn't back in the day. Oh, I used to rip Bettman a lot. And uh-huh. we were at the playoffs in 2008. And um, he had a uh, his PR guy, Frank Brown, was coming around the press box in Pittsburgh during the Eastern Conference Finals. And he was introducing uh uh, Gary to the media or saying, oh, you know, so-and-so, or you know, so-and-so. And so they're coming through the Philadelphia contingent section in the old igloo at Civic Arena. And, you know, he's, he's going around, oh, you know, Tim Panaccio and now, oh, you know, Wayne Fish and uh, whatever. And Gary's shaking hands. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? And he comes to me and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, Anthony Sanfilippo. And he just kind of looks at me, doesn't reach out to shake my hand or anything and moves on right next to the next guy who was Ed Moran from the Philadelphia Daily News. Just completely skipped right past me, um, probably because he didn't like the stuff that I was writing, which is fine. You get Missinelli? Did did he say who? No. Who? No, I didn't say who? that. Although, although I love that Shaq said who <laughs> about Mr. Nelly the other day. Um, that said, the, we're talk, I told all that story of Gary Bettman to sit here and say he well could be the best commissioner currently in the four major sports. Wow. I mean, Adam Silver, I think he's just wishy-washy. I think he lets the inmates run the asylum a little bit too much in the NBA. Um I don't he lets think some teams select selectively uh, tank their season, season after season, and does nothing to intervene. But you know, if it's Philadelphia, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree um, with you there. Sure. Uh, I also I, I don't think that uh, uh, the NFL is particularly run well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I so like I said, Manford is terrible. He's the guy. God, he's the worst I've ever seen. So yeah, with that said, you know, the NHL might actually have the best commissioner which is not necessarily high praise, but it is what it is. It's a low bar to clear. That's good. That's good. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Snow the Goalie. Of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, you found us this time, but you can always find us on your favorite podcast app. Of course, follow us over on Twitter. We've got at Snow the Goalie on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash snow the goalie. And uh, Anthony is over on Twitter and Instagram at Ant San Philly. I am on the same platforms at Joy on Broad. All of the links that I just laid out for you are in the episode description, depending on the podcast app or the site that you're accessing this on. Most of them are hyperlinked and are easy. Just go into the episode description. You can click on Anthony's Twitter handle and follow him there immediately. You do the same thing for me, same thing for the show. We have some other announcements, I believe, coming up in the next two weeks. So stay tuned. That's all I'll say. Stay tuned. Thanks for checking in. We will be back again next week. In the meantime, let us know what you think about the potential of going after a Jack Eichel, Seth Jones, Dougie Hamilton. Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Is there someone you would rather see the team go after? We'll keep the conversation going through the weekend. And then next week, we'll be back at it again, providing you the best Flyers coverage out there. For a very low fee of nothing, just your time. Talk to you next week.